Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 189th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. I was so blessed to have interviewed Emma Benoit in this episode. You're going to be so touched by her wisdom. I was struck by her courage, honesty, and vulnerability. Emma has such an important message for moms. And for someone out there listening, this episode could save your teen's life. Emma Benoit became extremely passionate about suicide prevention after surviving a suicide attempt in 2017, the summer before her senior year in high school. At the time, she was a popular varsity cheerleader with a supportive family and lots of friends, but on the inside, she was filled with depression and anxiety and had never told a soul about it. Her attempt resulted in a spinal cord injury that left her paralyzed but helped her find faith and purpose and propelled her on a mission to use her painful experience and miraculous recovery to help others. A few months after her attempt, Emma started the website liferejuvenated.org and a blog to share her story and recovery journey in an effort to help other teens who are struggling. In early 2018, Emma began working on a documentary film called My Ascension, which was released in 2021, that chronicles her recovery journey and advocacy work while addressing the youth suicide epidemic. Welcome, Emma. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so can you tell the moms how old you are? I am currently 22 years old. Okay, so you have a very important story that these moms need to hear. So can you tell us your story? Absolutely. I am from South Louisiana, born and raised here, 
I grew up in a middle-class family as a pretty spunky, charismatic, full-of-life kid. Really didn't have any real worries or stressors as a kid and just had a very like full-of-life childhood. But when I got into middle school around the age where you start to develop a sense of identity and a sense of self, I began to struggle. And coming from an environment where mental health wasn't really a topic of conversation that was on the table in really any environment for me growing up. So when I started to struggle with my own challenges mentally and emotionally, I was completely unaware of what it was that I was dealing with and what it was that I was feeling. So I felt very isolated as I grew up and continued to struggle. And some of my struggles to give a little context were anxiety. They started out when I was in elementary school and progressed as I got older and really started to take hold when I got to middle school, dealing with bullies, peer pressures, and really just my um, self-image issue and my insecurity within myself really was kind of the catalyst for the anxiety. And as I got older, the anxiety just grew bigger and bigger, dealing with peer pressures, dealing with academic pressures, dealing with personal pressures that I was placing on myself, being that I am a perfectionist and I've always been a people pleaser. Those two factors definitely are really challenging to work with, especially when you're a youth and you're unaware of all of these struggles and what to do with your big feelings. So I struggled pretty much from 12 years old up until I was 16, struggled pretty greatly. And the biggest problem with that struggle was, number one, I didn't know what I was dealing with. and I didn't have the language to express what I was feeling. And number two, the stigma. I never felt justified in my problems. I never felt like what I was experiencing was valid enough to share with someone. I never thought that my problems were really that big, but I felt like my problems were really that big. And so I was in this constant mental warfare of, I don't want to reach out for help because I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to be shamed. And I don't want to reach out for help because shame on me. And I'm guilty for feeling this way because look at my life, the life I described earlier, you know, middle-class family, don't really have much to worry about. And I was under the impression that people who struggle with these things, their lives look a certain way. They came from troubled homes. They experienced their trauma, et cetera. That wasn't my reality. So I never could relate or connect myself to struggling mentally, and emotionally. And as I got older, those struggles just grew and became heavier and never talking about it, never having an outlet or a coping skill put me in a position where when I was 16 years old, I felt hopeless purposeless and like I was a burden. And I made an attempt to take my life. I attempted suicide when I was 16 years old. And immediately after that attempt, I experienced instant regret. And I had a flood of emotions and every thought that I wished I would have had prior to making the attempt, immediately I thought of. And so that regret in culmination with the experience that I had truly propelled me on a mission to share my story and to speak on these things because the stigma is very real and a lot of young people struggle and they just don't know how to talk about it and they don't know that it's okay to struggle. So that's kind of a general synopsis of my story. I'm really eager to get into more details of it. Yeah. So did your friends know 
you were struggling? No one in my inner circle really knew that I was struggling with my emotions and my mental health. That's mainly because, like I talked about that stigma, I was so afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being labeled as a certain type of person because my understanding of a person who struggles with their mental health didn't look like me. It didn't look like my reality. So I never felt comfortable expressing those feelings and those struggles with anyone for the reasons, like I said, I felt like they wouldn't believe me. They would think I was looking for attention or, or the opposite. They would, they would judge me and not take me seriously. So I worked really hard to mask any feeling or anything that might show that I was struggling because I was afraid. Yeah. But I think anyone looking at you would think that you had it completely together. You're gorgeous. You were like a cheerleader, model. Mm -hmm. From the outside, you made good grades. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing that it looked like that you were struggling on the outside. And that's the thing. I had this picture-perfect image on the outside. And I, like I said, I worked really hard to maintain that image because these feelings and these thoughts I was having they were so uncomfortable for me. And I didn't know that they were very normal human things that people go through. I didn't feel like I had a right to struggle because my life was so perfect. And so that put me in a position where, like I said, I felt stuck. And I truly felt like if I did reach out, people would not give me the support that I needed, not give me the help that I needed truly. Was there something that day that you made the attempt that triggered that, pushed you across the line that you were trying to take your life? I would say it had been a year's worth of culminating feelings not addressed, years worth of undealt with stress and all of those things I had been festering and building up within myself, you know, compartmentalizing feelings and all of those really harmful things, you know, self-deprecating type thinking, pessimistic mindset, just all of that stuff I was struggling with. But I think the thing that set me over the edge was a week before my attempt, I was in New York City on a modeling trip and I had gotten asked to be a part of that trip. And so getting asked to be a part of that trip was like a confidence boost for me. It really gave me a lot of confidence and it assured me that I'm needed, I'm wanted, and I have purpose now. So I went on that trip and I had truly the time of my life. And being on that trip showed me the joy that I could have. It showed me how carefree I really could be. And then coming home from that trip, back down to my reality where things were not great. They were, my life, in my opinion, was in a mess. I didn't have any plans for college. It was the summer before my senior year of high school. I had quit cheerleading because I lost that passion. So my life was just in a mess. And I think what acted as a catalyst or trigger was the fact that I could compare how great I felt there versus what my life felt like back at home. And so being 16 years old, not having the life experience that I really needed, I felt like there was no hope and that my life was permanently like this. And, you know, when you're a youth, you deal with a lot of black and white thinking. And I was totally thinking in black and white. And in that moment, I felt like nothing is ever going to get better. And I had something to compare it to. So it felt so good. And then I came home and I'm like, there's no point. Okay. So can you tell the moms what your recovery was like? 
my recovery was a huge recovery, mainly because there wasn't only the emotional and mental journey to walk, but there was also a physical journey as well. My suicide attempt resulted in a spinal cord injury that left me paralyzed. So I went through months and months of physical rehab. And then after I got to a point where I felt like my body was rehabilitated enough to go home, I decided to really look into and start tackling my emotional and mental health journey. And I initially started seeing a counselor and that really did help me. I never knew how much help just talking about your feelings and giving a voice to your feelings actually did. But after spending some time with my therapist and really breaking down some of my thought patterns and some of my deeper feelings that I had been dealing with, I got to a point where I've realized that there is hope for everyone and there is hope out of this type of mentality and this type of feeling. So um, after having a few months in therapy, I really realized that it is possible for people to overcome this without getting to that point. And so naturally, my own journey, healing my mental health and working to gain coping skills and all of these wonderful, beautiful, amazing things that we have, I decided that sharing my story was just the next level of a form of therapy for me because helping others truly does help me in a greater way. So it's been quite the journey, but I'm very grateful that I've come this far. Yes. Oh my goodness. You've come so far in six years. So in fact, you just were on the Dr. Phil show. So can you tell us about that? Yes. Oh, it was amazing. Such a great opportunity. Truly never in a million years thought that I would have a story to share on the Dr. Phil show. I grew up watching that show and just getting approached to be a part of their episode was truly amazing. The Dr. Phil show is going through some pretty big changes and they're changing the format of their show. And they had an idea to do a, a show on suicide prevention and mental health crisis amongst youth. And they asked me to be a part of that show to share my story and talk about this epidemic of youth suicide. It was truly a great experience because not only did I get the opportunity to share my story, but I got the chance to receive validation and affirmation from Dr. Phil. Also hear from professionals, people who are doing the same work that I'm trying to do, um, erase the stigma and spread awareness. Just to hear their stories and their um, experiences truly was so eye-opening for me. And ultimately though, the best part about it all was, like I said, getting that validation from Dr. Phil that my story is valid. And, you know, what I went through could be helpful for people who are going through it right now. So it was truly a great experience. I'm really looking forward to when the episode airs. Yes, I will definitely watch it. So what did Dr. Phil say to you? Well, firstly, he just acknowledged how difficult this has been for me. And that was huge, you know, to have someone of his caliber acknowledging the position I'm in. So that was something that I didn't really realize that I needed. But um, looking back, I definitely did need that that affirmation because it was it was nerve wracking. I was very nervous and had a lot of anxiety and didn't know what to expect. But yeah, he just acknowledged that. And then he just really wanted to know what you were asking me about earlier is like the warning signs, right? Like how did these signs get missed? And so we got into a really good conversation about how your typical warning signs tend to mimic 
your typical teenage behaviors, isolation, not eating enough, not sleeping enough, things like that, which are pretty common for teenagers. But we really got into the nitty gritty of it. And I was able to kind of address some of the points in my experience, um, such as the fact that my character changed. We really talked about how it's important for parents to be aware of your kids' baseline behaviors and what's normal for them and what's not really normal for them. Because the biggest warning sign in my story was the fact that character-wise, I changed. I was a different person. I had a different temperament. My tolerance for frustration was much lower. I was just a different kid. And so we really talked about how important it is for parents to pay close attention to your kids' day-to-day normal routine, you know, how they talk, everything. That way, when they do start to struggle, you can better identify the things that are maybe different and off. Because in my experience, from my own personal story, obviously looking back in hindsight, everything is 2020. But since my family and I have been able to kind of reflect and look back, there were definitely signs that went missed. There were definitely things that could have been picked up on in conversations that could have been had that may have altered the trajectory of what happened. So it was truly amazing to get to just talk in great detail about the warning signs and helping parents, basically. Yeah. So every mom's worst nightmare is that their daughter or son would attempt suicide or commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So there must have been some healing that had to happen between you and your mom. Yeah, it that... That experience is an experience we share together because I was on the phone with her right before it happened and she did come home to find me. And so we walked that journey together. And honestly, I don't think that either one of us would be to the position we're in now had we not done it together. Um, Every single day in the hospital, my mom was there. She slept right next to me and we just got so close. And I'm so grateful to her for not making me feel like I was a bad person for doing it. I'm so grateful that her and my dad both wrapped me up in just the greatest amount of support and love. And their response to this horrible event was honestly greater than I could have ever imagined. They were just so firstly grateful that I was still alive, but secondly, they were just concerned and they just wanted to know what happened and where they could have went wrong and where things went wrong for me. And just, they wanted to know. And that truly was so helpful to me in the early days because I was afraid. I was terrified that I would have let them down or disappointed them. I was so scared that they would be angry with me and all of those things, but they weren't, they were just wanting to really learn and understand kind of the details behind this. And the journey that my family went on together was truly, um, like I said, one of the best journeys and most healing. We have now come to a point where our family dynamic is just different. We talk about feelings and our emotions openly. We don't put shame on any type of feeling for any one reason. You know, we're just different. And um, it took time, but it definitely was, like I said, something I don't think I would, I don't think I would be here right now if I didn't have such a supportive family unit backing me. And it was a journey that we all went on together. Well said. Well, first of all, I have to say, 
you're, you are just a beautiful human being, you know, inside and out and how brave of you to tell your story and go big. I mean, I would be scared to death to be on Dr. Phil's show. So that's like amazing. And you're also going big with this documentary. So can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. So like I said, initially, when I woke up in the hospital and felt that regret, I knew that I needed to speak up about this and not be silent. And so one of the initial forms of therapy that I did was journaling. And I turned my journals into blogs. I was encouraged to publish my journals online by some adults in my life who had read the blogs and were like, these are great. They can really inspire and help a lot of young people who are struggling. And so initially I published my journals onto a blog and the website got the attention from a, from a local filmmaker. And he reached out to me and wanted to create pretty much just like a PSA, a public service announcement on this issue, kind of sharing my story a little bit, but not in great detail. And with that, he asked me to be a part of a panel discussion after a film premiere of a film called Suicide, the Ripple Effect that was premiering in my hometown. And so I agreed to being a part of that conversation after that film. And that was the first time that I had the opportunity to share my story verbally with a crowd of people. And I'm not going to lie to you. It was something that I was very hesitant to saying yes to. Um, I was hesitant to even publishing my blogs in the first place, but I got so much encouragement from people. So I just went with it, but I was really hesitant to sharing my story with a crowd of people. I was afraid of judgment. I was afraid of everything that you could be afraid of when it comes to public speaking, but something in me just told me to do it. And so I acted on that intuition or that instinct. And I decided to share my story and the feedback and the response from the crowd gave me the confidence and assured me that this is something that I need to do. And so shortly after that amazing experience with sharing my story, after the premiere of the film, Suicide the Ripple Effect, that same producer reached out to me and wanted to start filming my journey. And we agreed, we sat down with my mom and my my family and his team and we put together a plan and we just decided to just start documenting. And we've been able to create a feature length documentary film called My Ascension that chronicles my entire journey and my recovery to learning to walk again, to my emotional and mental health journey. The documentary film chronicles not only my journey, but other journeys as well. And it also talks about the resources and the hope that's out there. The film, My Ascension, really does a great job of not only sharing my story and the reality of suicide, but also showing the alternative side, that hope is out there. And a program called Hope Squad is is featured in the film as well. And we really just talk about all the ways that kids can reach out for help and just really emphasize the point that hope is real. There's just so much I have to say about the film. After the completion of the documentary film back in 2021, we've been able to start sharing it with communities, student bodies, and just groups of people. And it's given me an opportunity to really open up a dialogue with people and start these conversations that are not being had like they should be, and just really open up the door for people who are struggling to feel like they can wave their white flag and they can finally start talking about these things. So it's been truly an amazing journey, and I'm so grateful that 
my story has come to the point where it can be shared in the form of a documentary film because the film has proven that people are more eager to talk once they have learned and heard stories. So it's just nothing but positive. That is so exciting and so needed. And so let me ask you this. I mean, what's it like for you to talk to another teen and they open up to you and you know that you're helping them? What does that feel like for you? That's the most purposeful feeling. It truly gives me so much fulfillment whenever a young person reaches out to me and feels like they can express their deepest, darkest feelings and thoughts in a safe and comfortable way. I feel so much fulfillment out of that. And it truly is, like I was talking about earlier, it truly is a form of therapy for me. Helping others and seeing that my experience and my words of encouragement can really change someone's outlook, perspective, mentality is huge and it's everything to me. So I don't take this calling lightly at all. And I'm so grateful that I have been called to do this work because it is truly one of the most rewarding feelings to know that just by me sharing my experience and me sharing my vulnerabilities, it can help someone. Yeah. What is something that you know now that you wish that you knew back then? It's okay not to know where you're going. It's okay not to have it all figured out. Give yourself grace to struggle. It's okay to have negative feelings. It's unrealistic to think that every day is going to be a good day. Give yourself time. This feeling isn't permanent. Also, you don't need to be perfect. Yep. Take the pressure off of yourself. Be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be you. And also to know that it's okay not to be okay. Don't carry shame for feeling a negative emotion. I wish I would have known that emotions are human, a human thing. Humans experience emotions. It's not one type of person that has one type of emotions. It's emotions are for humans. And so I wish I would have understood that, you know, just because I'm having a bad feeling doesn't mean that I'm a bad person, right? Or just because I have these suicidal thoughts doesn't mean that I'm a horrible, awful person for not wanting to be alive. Right. So what do you frequently say to teens? What do you think teens need to hear? From what I gather, I tell teens that they're not alone because these feelings, this type of thinking can feel so isolating and you truly feel like you are the only one who experiences it, but they need to know that they're not alone. Humans experience these feelings. Again, it goes back to the basics of understanding we're all human beings. I just tell them, you know, you're not alone. And these feelings don't define you. You aren't your feelings. You can overcome those feelings and get back to a place where you feel mentally well. And like, you feel like you want to carry on and that these feelings aren't permanent. They don't define you and they're not permanent and you're not alone. You don't have to overcome all of this alone. You know, you have people out there who are able and willing and ready to help you through whatever it is you're going through. So those are the main things that they're not alone and that it's not permanent and that it does get better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I have dealt with some girls who've made suicide attempts, when I talked to them, they really didn't intend to die. They just wanted the pain to go away. They wanted some peace. They wanted rest. What was that like for you? That was my experience as well. I didn't really want death. That wasn't the goal. 
that wasn't the driving force that made me just make the decision. The driving force was to get rid of the stress and the turmoil and the emotional pain that I was in. The only escape that looked hopeful to me was the escape of death. And the most appealing idea for someone who's in that type of thinking, in that moment of crisis, is to just escape it all and to rid yourself of the pain. And so my experience is pretty accurate to those of the people that you've met with. I didn't really want to die. I just didn't know what else to do and how to get through what it was that I was dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So what questions should parents be asking their children? Well, I think, like I talked about earlier, I think it's important to establish a baseline of behavior for what's typical and normal for your kid. And then from there, I think it's important that you make it normal in your home to talk about feelings. I think it is so important to address what's going on emotionally with your kid, as well as physically and academically. I think creating an environment in the home where mental health conversations are open and accepted is so crucially important because parents ask their kids how their day was at school. They ask their kids how they've been feeling lately. They ask their kids those types of questions, but they don't ask their kids the types of questions like, is there something that happened today at school that made you feel a certain way that you want to talk about? Is there a big feeling that you've been dealing with that you want to get off your chest and sit with me and we can feel it together? You know, feelings, that's the biggest thing. We all have feelings. Humans have feelings mm-hmm. and it's important to address them. And so I think one of the best things that a parent can do in their home is putting feelings on the table and giving feelings a voice because I know looking back, that wasn't a part of my reality. Feelings didn't really have a voice. And so I think it's crucial to let your kids have a voice with their feelings and to ask them about it. And I would even go as far to say as don't poke, but if your kid tells you, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, let them know, hey, look, I understand you're fine right now, but if ever you're to a point where you don't feel fine, if you ever feel like X, Y, or Z, come to me. I'm a safe space so you can talk about it with me. Overall, normalizing these things, normalizing the dialogue around feelings, normalizing the dialogue around emotional pain, I think is all crucial steps. That's so important. I work with a lot of moms and one of the traps they fall into is they want their teens or their daughters to be happy. Mm-hmm. And so they'll try to cheer them up. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that bad. There's a lot of things you should be grateful for. Mm-hmm. And really don't know that they're doing damage by doing that. Mm-hmm. Because you're really invalidating their feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I've had moms go in the room to try to cheer their daughters up and end up yelling at them because they get mad that they're upset. What you're saying, Emma, is so important because I think in our culture, we focus so much on grades as parents or school. Are you are you clicking the boxes? Are you getting everything done? And so like we feel like there's no time for feelings because you need to be studying mm-hmm. like you're not being productive. Mm-hmm. I think that there's no coincidence that there's so many kids who have suicidal thoughts and are making attempts Mm -hmm. in this kind of culture. Mm 
because yes. we're invalidating what people's experiences are, especially after COVID. And so I completely agree with what you're saying, Emma. And so parents, maybe not the most important thing are their grades, it's their feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ultimately, I agree because just what you were talking about earlier, like I had so much fear going to my parents about my feelings because I, I knew that they would try to talk me out of it. I knew that they would just try to give me a silver lining so that way I could just be happy and be over it. And so that's also something that I think is important for parents to know. Have an environment in your home where it's safe and comfortable to talk about feelings. Yes, great. But also understand that you don't have to fix the problem. Like if your kid is going through something, don't feel like mama bear, papa bear need to go run in and fix the problem and make it all better right now in this minute, exactly right now. Because that's not always a lot of times not helpful. Like you said, it's actually more damaging because it invalidates what the person is feeling. And I dealt with that a lot. I dealt with a lot of people giving me toxic positivity, which is things like you have so much to be grateful for. You're so pretty, you know, and those things just completely avoided everything I was saying I was feeling. So it's so important for parents to know that don't invalidate your kids by trying to cheer them up. Don't try to control the way they feel because they feel it. Let them feel it and then work to resolve the feeling. But it's so important that we allow kids to feel because that's so true. There's so much pressure to be successful and to be productive all the time. And sometimes the most productive thing you can do for yourself is do nothing. You know, right. Right. sometimes that's just the best thing you can do for yourself is just to sit and process and just feel, you know, right. Ultimately, really all humans want this, but we want to be understood. We want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think moms, we think, well, you know, she won't share anything with me or he won't share anything with me. Well, it's because they don't want to be judged mm -hmm. and they're afraid they're going to be judged. But I think the most beautiful story you talked about is the healing that happened with you and your mom because you started really understanding each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, prior to my suicide attempt, I viewed my mom and dad as mom and dad. They're not human beings. They're not individuals. They're just my parents. And, you know, I have to abide by their rules. And so there was never really a understanding that, hey, my mom has experienced hardship. My mom has dealt with feelings of anxiety and feelings of not being good enough. And so is my dad. You know, there was never that understanding that, my parents are people too. And so after this happened, my entire family was just, I guess, forced into being vulnerable. And that was the best thing for us because I learned so much about my mom's life and her experiences and my dad. And it just taught me so much about how humans have experiences. And that really, that experience of opening up that conversation with my parents and them being vulnerable and them crying with me showed me that the stigma doesn't have a place. It really did erase a little bit of the stigma for me because it just showed me that my parents went through it too. You know, people go through these things. Yeah. And it's probably the first time you felt understood. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're hiding how you're truly feeling, then you feel like then no one sees you. You're like invisible and that no one understands you. But when you really share that really hard stuff in your life and someone just is there and loves you, you feel so seen and understood and it changes everything, right? Everything. It truly does. 
And I think it's unfortunate that it took us getting to this point, but I'm so grateful that we have been able to go through this healing journey because the way I feel now and the way I process my feelings and thoughts is so much different. I'm not afraid or ashamed to express any emotion to my loved ones or my support system around me because I know that it's okay have negative feelings. And I know that when I reach out to them, they will give me the listening ear. They won't try to correct the problem or tell me, you know, get over it, you know, so it's just different. And I'm very grateful. Yeah. All right. So here's another question that I see a lot as a therapist is that with screens and kids being on their phones, like all night long. And in my experience, a lot of times in, in the evenings at night is when a friend will text another friend and will say, I really feel like my life is over. I can't do it another day. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's cryptic. Sometimes it's blatant. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, these teens have no idea what to do with that. I mean, what would you say to this? I would say, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is a life or death matter. And I would encourage kids, if your friend is reaching out to you saying things like this, it is very crucial that you take it to an adult, a trusted adult, and you let them know what is being said. Because ultimately, you can offer support, you can help that friend through it, but that's a moment of crisis and they need to be protected from, it's really hard to answer because there's like more of the immediate threat answer and response of what actions and steps to take. But there's also the answer for young people to know how to help their friend. And the best advice I can give a young person on how to help their friend is similar to that of the advice to a parent on how to help their kid. Just don't try to fix the problem. Don't try to give them toxic positivities and reasons to stay alive. Um, And don't tell them things like, that's a really selfish thought. You know, you would be leaving behind so many people. That is not helpful. Honestly, the most helpful conversation to have would be asking them to explain why they feel that way and just helping them through it. But I don't think that I would hate to say that a young person can do that for another young person because that's tricky. Yeah. That makes sense. Like I don't. Yeah. yeah. So what I would say for the moms listening is a real important conversation to have with your teens is just to tell them that I know that a lot of your friends might have some big feelings and may sometimes have some suicidal thoughts and may hint at it, or you might be really concerned. And I just want you to know if that happens, please let me know. Mm -hmm. You and I can talk about it. I'm not going to do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I want to support you with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I actually heard a story a few weeks ago about, oh, it was a testimony, actually. Um, a mother was sharing that her son was suicidal and his friend actually told her that he was suicidal because he had been telling him kind of cryptically, hinting at the fact that he wanted to take his life. And he did the right thing and told his mom and his mom was able to step in just in the nick of time and help him, give him the support that he needed and get him into the therapy that he needed. And so that just goes to show that, you know, you may feel like you are betraying your friend's trust, but ultimately it is for their well-being and their safety to just express that to an adult whenever you feel like you're worried about your friend. Yeah, that's powerful. 
All right. So any last advice that you want to share with the moms? I think something that really did help my journey was when my parents shared some of their experiences with me, some of their mental health challenges with me and some of their personal experiences dealing with bullies and things like that. Again, it just made me feel like my parents were people too. So I think it could be helpful for moms to know that you can relate to your kid. You can absolutely share your hardship and your feelings and your vulnerabilities with them. I don't think that it would make them view you in any different light. Just know that sharing your story and your experiences with your kids could only help them because it's going to make them feel more comfortable talking about these hard things with you. It's going to make them feel like, you know, you've been there before. So they're going to want to come to you. It's just another crucial point in this entire conversation is just humanizing yourself for your kids because oftentimes teenagers view their parents on a pedestal. I know I put my parents on a pedestal and they always had it together. They never had a problem. They always figured it out. And so I think it's important to let your kids know that everyone struggles. Mom struggles, dad struggles, we all struggle. And to encourage them that when they do struggle to come to you. Good advice. So how can moms contact you and find out about your documentary? So the documentary film, we have a website for, it's called myascension.us. And currently we're doing community screenings, school screenings, and just group screenings as a whole. And if you want to learn more about the film, you can check us out on Facebook. It's just My Ascension on Facebook. Just give us a like on Facebook and keep up with everything we're doing and where you can view the film next. Um, and we will be preparing for a PBS premiere next year, 2023. So stay tuned for that. But the best way to follow along with what we're doing is by going to our, our Facebook page, My Ascension on Facebook. Are you on Instagram? Yes, we are also on Instagram. We are My Ascension Movie on Instagram. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This is such a powerful interview. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms and Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.